Welcome home. You're listening to the 180 Church Podcast with Dr. Sammy and friends. Dr. Sammy D. Kim is a Harvard-trained ethicist and co-founder of 180 Church NYC. He is a Yale Hastings Scholar at the Yale Interdisciplinary Center for Bioethics and the Hastings Center, where he explores the inequities surrounding health, immigration, and social policies, along with professional burnout. He is also a regular contributor to Christianity Today. For more information, please visit his website at samdkim.com. Welcome, everyone joining us online and in person. I want to just give you a moment to center ourselves before we go in to the Word and practice the rule of life so we can hear from the Lord today. Let's exhale. automatic, ruminating thoughts, emotions that are weighing on us this season. Let's bring it to the cross as we approach Passion Week. For the Bible tells us to cast our cares upon the Lord, for He cares for us. And inhale. The promise as we supplicate our toxicities and anxieties, even maladaptive ways of coping in this life, that God would lift our burdens and give us transcendent peace. Robert Mulholland, Invitation to a Journey. Gracious and loving God, it is with thankfulness that I hear your call to become like Christ-like. Something deep within my heart steers in a deep, heavy sleep at your call. The memory of something I was to have been, but am not yet. Lord, we pray, O loving God, stir up this hunger in our hearts until it becomes the all-consuming passion of our lives. All God's people pray. Amen. So as we exit the season of Lent, the Lenten season is a framework coming out of Matthew 4 where Jesus goes into the wilderness as he fasts those 40 days. And the drama of Lent for many years or for centuries has been focused on the idea of fasting, giving something up. Culturally, the dominant culture sees Lent as something as a prohibition something to fast, something to withhold from yourself. But when you study the heart behind Lent, and for the last few years, we've been focusing on what? What is it called? We've been fasting, not food, but what? Defaults. Tell someone next to you, defaults. But, and for some odd reason, when I started the series a few years ago about defaults, a lot of Christian leaders came to me and said, that's genius. I go, yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm kidding. I was like, why? Why, is it, why is the word default sort of trigger a response of something I'm struggling, coping, maladaptive coping ways of how I try to survive, not just in New York City, but in this life, just as a human being, But when you reduce the idea of a default, what is it? When you reduce it down to zero, a default is a habit. It's a proclivity to or onto something, towards something, when I'm trying to survive. It's the way I cope in how I deal with other people and this world. Psychologists would call this, let's move to the slide here, to the ice cream store, about a habit loop. Habit loops are formed when they're triggered by something. Habits are very difficult to create. Sometimes subconsciously you can create them, but 
there's a lot of science behind it. For example, the ice cream truck. The ice cream trucks have a cue of forming a habit of creating a propensity toward wanting ice cream. What's the cue with the ice cream truck? There's a bell that rings. Every time I hear this bell in the summer, me and Josh are running out the door. I said, Josh, do you have cash? Can I borrow your cash? Sometimes I have no cash. Right? I only have cards. Josh's like, I'll let you borrow it, but if you pay me back in interest. And he wants it that day. I have to go to the ATM. I just decided that it's not worth it. But when the bells ring, there's a cue in your brain, a neurological work that takes place, a pump, that makes you want ice cream. And then the truck, you know the truck is there, so the routine takes place, and you go out, and it creates a habit. To show you the science of a habit loop, let me show you here the Mind Body Food Institute. It says life-changing education. Now, the cue, the neuroplasticity of the brain, the marvel of the brain. Sarah, you like that, right? You're studying the brain. There's a trigger or a cue that you need for a habit to form. And then a routine, an action of behavior, going to the truck, hearing the bell, then walking up to the truck. That's the routine. And then the reward, which is relief, right? Or dopamine. I get a lot of dopamine when I have ice cream with peanuts. I really hate that they've really got rid of all the peanuts in all the stores for the allergic reaction kids have. But I wanna talk about that one day in my venting session, uh, why that happened. But this is the habit loop. So what are we trying to do in Lent? We're trying to break the bad habits, the maladaptive habits in our lives. And we're trying to create what? Systems, environments in which, where viable, healthy habits can form. But how do you do that? And this is exactly why Ephesians 5.18 might be one of the most overlooked passages in Scripture. Because breaking bad habits, and people say the phrase, the idiom is, bad habits what? They die hard. It's almost impossible to break them. Why? Because once the neurons plaster a habit through the habit acquisition, in the neural network of your brain, it's hard to unlearn them. But the marvel of the brain can allow you to. And so, this text, I want to read here very carefully. Let's go here. I can tell you not to do those things. Those coping mechanisms, maladaptive ways to default. And so you can fast them, abstinence, prohibitions. You can not do them for 40 days. But you'll go back to the defaults right away. And so Lent becomes this habitual pattern of abstinence and then going back, feasting on destructive behaviors. That's very like kind of statistic in a way. Getting caught in this drama, which is sort of the story of Scripture and the people of Israel who get stuck <clears throat> in destructive patterns. So watch what Paul says in this passage about how we create better habits or better environments for those habits and check it out verse 15 it says be very careful then how you live not as unwise but wise so we need discernment here making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil and therefore do not be foolish but understand the Lord's will. In verse 18, it talks about wine or alcohol. It says, do not get drunk on wine. So to the church of Ephesus, there's temple prostitutions. There's a culture, Hellenistic culture, of binge drinking. There's a culture. I mean, if you think America created that, that's not true. The Greeks created this festive idea of intoxication and festivities. And sort of exulting in something outside of yourselves with other people. 
a party. And so Ephesus would be very clear on the drinking culture. Every culture has a drinking culture because drinking is not about consuming wine or alcohol, right? It's about a way of medicating social anxiety, a way of relating to culture. It's a non-optional social convention because culture exists. So this is a way we cope. We drink. It says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. 99.9% of all date rape in the United States, North America, in college campuses, involves the influence of alcohol. 100% of sexual assault involves the influence of alcohol. It's the influence. And alcohol is not the problem. It's what it does to the human brain when you're intoxicated. It creates debauchery and destruction. But it says, instead, be filled with the Spirit. So the whole point is not prohibition because Paul doesn't say, do not get drunk. He could have stopped there. He could have just said, don't drink. But he replaces it with something else. He actually says, in this analogy then, the idea of intoxication. Tell someone next to you, get drunk. Or, or what? Culture says, get turned. I'm not going to say that again. Sounds weird. But, I, but get drunk. So the, the analogy is, don't get drunk. Don't have this habit of over drinking and intoxicated because you know what that's like. And I was at a wedding and all the mom, no, I'm kidding. All the parents, not saying, if there is a, a biblical warrant for intoxication, it might only be at weddings because that's not coping, that's celebrating and you love your friends so you're helping yourself. That might be a biblical warrant because Jesus did make wine at a wedding on the third day and he probably shouldn't have because he created the best wine in history and people definitely got intoxicated. I don't, I felt bad for the camels they took back home that day. But anyway, so this framework is get intoxicated rather than in wine, which brings influence. Paul says you need to get intoxicated. You need to get drunk in the spirit. Tell someone next to you, get drunk in the spirit. But how? <laughs> how do you get drunk in the spirit? That's the question. The drinking habits of every culture is social. And everybody knows how to get drunk. But here, I want to understand better, sort of differentiate theological hairs here, is why Paul doesn't just give prohibition, but he gives something to the idea of replacing that do not to exalt in, or to give yourself something to, and replace it with something else. Because prohibitions don't work. A church that prohibits or says do not, a bounded set spirituality, all fail. Because if you're going to abstain for something, you're going to only abstain for something better. Right? For example, the United States did an experiment of banning alcohol for 13 years. The 18th Amendment. Woodrow Wilson. The guy was nuts. But people really thought that if you just eliminated influence of alcohol, corruption would go down, prisons would go down, murderers would go down, crime, inmates in prison, and consumption of drugs would go down, and there would be a sort of a renewal, a renaissance. And one of the greatest preachers of that time Billy Sunday said this, when they, 1919, Billy Sunday said, reign of tears is over. And people were like, there was a revival, a festive type of atmosphere in the churches that when they banned alcohol, they thought America would change. The slums will soon be only a memory. We will turn our prisons into factories and our jails into storehouses. 
and corn cribs. Men will walk up right now, women will smile, and children will laugh. Hell will forever be for rent. But the opposite happened. The prohibition of alcohol lasted 13 years, right through the Great Depression. But let's look at this chart. Alcohol consumption, you look at 1919, right at 0.8 gallons. And then if you go all the way to 1929, it goes up multiple times consumption. And an unintended consequence of the prohibition of alcohol in the 18th Amendment was people no longer drank beer because it was cheap and accessible. People started drinking whiskey and harder liquors. And people who couldn't get hard liquors started going to other influences and substances, crack, cocaine, and, and different types of substances, more potent substances. And society got much worse, not just consumption per capita alcohol, but what, the next slide, if you look at the figure, homicide rates, 1999, it almost went up five times. So Billy Sunday, one of the most legendary preachers of our time, was so wrong, it's not even funny. His, his prediction was like a lie. He made God look bad. Because the prohibition of alcohol created a greater need for coping. And if you don't replace it with something, you replace it with something even worse. So that's the homicide rate. Next rate, inmates, prison. You look at 1999. And then you look at even up to 1922, just three years after, it, it almost goes up five times. So people are pent up. People are, are not just upset. They're creating more crimes. They're more, there's more aggression. There's no relief. It tells you something about the Im immersive appetite humanity has. You know, we know that we were created to experience something outside of us that brings transcendence. We know that we're not that interesting, right? This is why we travel. This is why people climb Everest. This is why it takes four hours to drive across Lake Tahoe and only 40 minutes to leave it. Because we want to experience immersive, beautiful, transcending things that has nothing to do with us because we want to be awed. And this is why we also take substances so that we could, be, we could numb or feel a high where dopamine is released. So prohibitions don't work. So the first lesson we learned from this text is what? Why Paul says to be drunk, the idea of intoxication at all, in the spirit, is because bad habits can't be replaced. Can be replaced, but not erased. So in our lives, whatever your default is, I don't know what they are, you do, if it's not replaced with something more constructive, then you're going to go back to whatever the default is. That's why Paul talks about the idea of getting drunk in the Spirit, being filled with the power of the Spirit. But then, what is the culture of being filled with the Spirit? Do you go, how do you go to the spiritual bar? Anyone know how to get to the spiritual bar? Is, is it like a Harry Potter bar? Like, what is it? It almost seems so elusive, right, in the American culture. How do you get drunk in the spirit? Well, Paul tells us. Let's move down. So how do you get drunk in the spirit? If prohibitions don't work and we're all trying to survive, tell someone next to you, I'm not judging you. I'm not judging you. If you need to, you know, do a little of this, a little of this, because 
hey, you're competing in the most competitive landscape in the world here in New York City, trying to compete with 23 million people. You need to find a way to get relief, refuge. And so Paul is not saying that need for refuge. Paul is, God is not saying here that that need for alleviation and relief and to feed your soul is evil. It's not even sinful. But the expressions in which the influences we bring into our lives bring destructive tendencies, maladaptive ways. So God is actually not judging here. Jesus is not judging us for the need for relief. Everybody say, Phew! oh my gosh, thank, thank God. God knows. So when you drink and when you medicate yourself with marijuana because it's illegal, people ask me, what do you think about that, doc? I say what, what Paul says, everything is permissible but not beneficial. But that is not a shame-based, bounded set kind of culture. It's, it's, it's a center set culture. God says there's something better. Right? Jesus says in the Gospels, deny yourself and take up the cross and then follow me. You get me. In the Gospel, you get God. That's the greatest reward. Not the blessing, but the giver. So how do you get then intoxicated? How do you get drunk in God? Well, that's what Paul says here. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And then verse 19 says, Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing! Tell someone next to you, sing. John, BTS member, sing. <laughs> sing. And it says, sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. And it even says, speaking to one another, meaning singing to one another. What is a norebang? You're singing to one another. What is it a norebang? A karaoke bar. It's called the karaoke bar. It's not just karaoke, never just karaoke. Karaoke bar. It's stacking habits. Singing and drinking. Great combo. Because it medicates social anxiety. And once you're under the influence, you feel a little bit free. You feel a little bit looser. And that's why in culture, you need these way of coping. So Paul gives an illustration that everybody understands and says, do the same thing, but do it in the spirit. And so people ask me, why do we, people who are not even Christians, why do we sing for 30 minutes on a Sunday? Ephesians 5.18. Some people think worship is like background noise before coming to service. I'm going to grab my coffee. And I'm going to hear, you know, sing a thousand hallelujahs. Oh, that's nice. Drink your coffee. No, there's an intention behind it. Every single revival, the first great awakening, the second great awakening, the third great awakening, and the Asbury awakening, the fourth one, all started with worship, hymns, spiritual songs. So if you don't have a habit of worshiping, which is really acts, adoration, the first one, a, a habit of adoration, you can believe in God. You go, well, I believe in God. I have faith. How do you practice it? When you, medic when you go into a karaoke bar, you're practicing a habit of socializing and letting loose and finding alleviation from pressures of this life with a social context. And... Everybody who goes to a karaoke bar together or drinks together gets closer because they do stupid things. Then you hold them to those stupid things forever in life. And you laugh about it, and it's great. But if you don't have a habit of worship, then you can't even get a mechanism to be filled with the Spirit. Right? I mean, because a lot of us, 
don't really have liturgy to, as an outlet to connect with the Spirit because that's for church. When we have secular habits of, way of ways of coping. So the first thing is examine your worship culture. How are you worshiping God in your life? Not just on Sunday, but every day. Well, yeah, of course I want to be drunk in the Spirit. Of course I want to be filled with the Spirit. Of course I want to be intoxicated with the love of God. But how? How are you accessing that presence? Without worship, it's impossible. And some people think Christian music is corny. Nah, die. I don't listen to that. Well, you're stupid. In heaven, they're not singing secular music. They'll be worshiping Jesus. You're like, oh, really? So you better get to know the music. I was at a wedding recently. I mean, when they call people to the dance floor, it's just like junior high. Everybody doesn't want to go be the first one. Except for the real crazy extroverts. I never understand what extroverts feel like. They just go and start dancing. and It's like this. So embarrassing. But even when you begin to dance and you hear the music and you're being pumped up, you know, you're being pumped up to dance, there's an incremental transition. I mean, you have to get into it, right? People clap, people dance, and you see each other make funny faces. And most dancing looks ridiculous. There's no one in our church dance well, maybe except Henry. But I mean, but that's the fun of it. So worship... Even on Sunday, it's developing a habit. So if you're worshiping like this, creating me a clean heart. I mean, what kind of habit? You're going to associate worship with, this is whack. You're associating, a, you're, you're, you're stacking a habit of worship is associated in my brain as boredom. You have to get into it. It tells you in this text, and you're like, well, okay, Doc, that sounds nice, but I don't sing. That's not me. I don't do, I don't do singing. That's kind of sensitive. Well, okay, if you're a Christian here, tell somebody, if you're a Christian here, and you know English, and you're not an idiot, this is not an option if you're a Christian. It says it's, it's an imperative. It's a command to get drunk. Just like some friends command you to get drunk. You want more? You want more? You want more? You want more shots? I'm going to be the person that gives you the shots in church. I'm the shot giver. Because it's a command. So, if you don't have a worship habit, you're actually walking in disobedience. No wonder why we're always going into drugs and alcohol, self-medicating anxiety. We have no habit of worship. We feel a little anxious, okay. Hey, text someone, you want, you want to go for a drink? And I'm not shiting on drinking. I'm not. I have no problem with it. Me and my wife love having a glass of wine that we never finish. It's like a waste, we only get one. They ask me, what size? I'll get the bigger size. My wife's like, why, you never finish it. I'm like, I'm gonna finish it today. Never finish. Josh is like, dad, don't order it. You, don't, you don't take a sip, it's a waste of money. So we have to examine this and how we get drunk in the spirit is we have to create a culture of connecting with the spirit. That's why we do the rule of life exercise. That's why we worship. And I would encourage you when you come to worship, come early, pray, create a habit of stacking spiritual habits all at once. Create positive vibes and do it at home because that's the way you get filled with the spirit. There has to be a mechanism in which you, where you can be full, where you can, God could fill you in the spirit. So for, let's examine the drinking culture in North America. For example, beer pong. How many people played beer pong before? I've never have, but I'm going to do it at church, the spiritual beer pong. Now, if you look at how habits are formed, the most powerful habits and associated habits, like beer pong, it's called habit stacking. 
right? Why is it ha habit stacking? Well, because it's not just drinking. It's a party where the opposite sexes and a college campus come together, which is great. So the association of beer pong is not just drinking. It's drinking for a purpose to what? Socialize, to make friends, to make memories. And so you see this image of cheerleaders cheering you on. What guy in any campus don't like that? People laughing, people having a good time, people being free, when a lot of times there's a lot of social anxiety. So you're creating, you're stacking in the brain, drinking with flirting, games, and socializing. So beer pong is actually thought of as, wow, that's so fun. And that's why you want to do it. Or, for example, let's, let's go to something more um, every day. In, I mean, I went to college like 20-something years ago. So, for example, when you watch TV, how many people here when you watch TV eat? Raise your hand if you eat when you're watching TV. All the fat people, come on. Come on now. Don't, don't lie. Every time we watch TV... It doesn't matter if we ate dinner. My wife's like, do you want sushi? But we just ate dinner. But I want sushi. Okay. Uber Eats. Why? Now TV, watching Netflix, the Korean dramas, with a little bit of other stuff, chips, your habit stacking. Now, every time you think of watching and having a Netflix night, you're stacking habits of eating, watching, and so now your brain associates that, and you keep doing it. You might not even be hungry. You just feel like crunching on something. So how do you then get drunk, intoxicated, and filled with the Spirit? Well, second lesson we learned, it's through the immersive power of habit stacking. If you read the text very carefully, it says that drinking will lead to debauchery. Well, spiritual drinking will lead to what? The fruit of the Spirit. It will lead to love like never before. Because it's, it's, it's God's agape love filling you to love others. It's a transcending love. But how does that happen? Well, Mike Bickle the founder of the House of Prayer, started in 1999 praying 24 hours. And he's one of the major leaders of the prayer movement and a mentor of mine formerly who offered me a job a long time ago when I was 21. And he discovered that praying, how many people here have a positive connotation of prayer? Where you, you, you're just like, I love praying. And for me personally, I don't have that connotation because my culture of prayer growing up was the pastor in the Korean Methodist Church praying three hours for food. Like he prayed for world hunger, North Korea, South Korea. He prayed we would all be nourished in our bodies. And that, I mean, I was just like, didn't he just preach a sermon? Like, what is wrong with him? And he, he literally, it would feel like three hours, but it was like literally 15 minutes. And People would pray all the time. And prayer, for me, was associated with length and being pious in some ways. Now, if some of you have a positive view of prayer, great. A lot of people don't. It seems very abstract. So Mike Bickle, what he decided was the way to start 24, house, uh, 24 a house of prayer was he would stack it with music called the harp and bow model, based on revelations. So people, a band plays every two hours and they switch out. So for you, if prayer is difficult, stack it with worship. There has to be one song that you like at church. You might not be doing this, but just one song that makes you go like this, you know, okay. <laughs> Maybe it's the Justin Bieber song. I've been listening to it a lot. Right? I put my heart into your hands. Right? 
And I, and I let you in with all that I am, all I can. I don't know which song, but it has to be sizable and manageable. It doesn't have to feel holy and it doesn't have to be crazy. But the stacking does create in the brain a habit of, you know what? I'm anxious right now. Boom, Justin B. Put my heart into your hands. And after a little while, you're coming to church on Sundays, you're, you're the one like this. Yes, God. Why? Because you're creating receptivity to what God can do in your life by creating and stacking. That's why we create the instrumental so that you can use it. The best, most best-selling book in the last five years has been Sarah Young's devotional. It outsells um, Fifty Shades of Grey multiple times. The first printing was one million. Why? Because it's three-minute devotional. It's sizable. You can do them. And habits, the easier there are, easier to form. But you can stack it. Drink your coffee, do the devotional, have Justin Bieber play in the background. Bam, you just triple stack the habit. You just created a combo. Knock out the enemy and boredom all at once. And it will add eternal benefit into our lives. So you don't get drunk by one beer, binge drinking. So here, the Bible's actually commanding you to binge drink in the spirit. Right? The CDC says to define binge drinking is four beers in one hour for females and five beers for men in one hour. So you got to drink a lot. So in the spirit, through the power of habit stacking and immersive experience, you're creating habits that will allow a channel for the spirit to fill you. Amen? That's how you get filled with the spirit. And so for some of us, it's going to be new. Every Sunday for the last 25 years in ministry, after I preach, I ask people as a sign of surrender to lift their hands. One of the things I learned in 25 years of ministry is this. Change is hard, old habits die hard. I gave up on the whole sort of hyperbolic life change idea because I haven't seen it a lot. The Paul-Saul conversions don't happen all the time. What I did see in 25 years are people, I, I try to help you deal with one issue to surrender that issue to God and let God fill you. And I've seen the power of that atomic change happen minutely and incrementally. And then in 25 years, the change is immense. Today, I want to pray that the Holy Spirit would become your friend every day. Because again, this like tithing is not optional. This like stewardship is not optional. You're a Christian and you're not being drunk in the spirit, being filled with the spirit. You're walking in disobedience. And why you're leading into debauchery and maladaptive ways of coping that hurt other people and yourself. So today, everyone stand with me. Put this picture up. Today, this altar is the bar. It's a spiritual bar. Everybody lift your hands up like a cup, and I'm going to give you some shots. And today, I want you to focus on the habit stacking. For many of us, like C.S. Lewis says, our Lord doesn't find our desires too strong. He finds them too weak. What if the filling of the Spirit leads to unimaginable change in your life, atomic change, that you could have never imagined, that transcends all alleviation, all forms of coping, that medicated you temporarily, 
But here it is. I want you to pay attention to this. When you self-medicate, you still control how you medicate yourself. You're not fully surrendering to alcohol. But when you surrender to the Spirit and you get filled, you're completely surrendering. You're letting go and letting God be God in your life. Holy Spirit, I want to pray today as a community, as a church, we want to practice the command of Ephesians 5.18. A lot of us have been drunk on many things. Just like the church of Ephesus, we've been drunk on wine, substances, poor forms, maladaptive ways of coping that can be destructive to us and others, the people we want to love the most, God. We pray today you would teach us and expand our capacity to be filled by the unconditional love of the Father in ways we've never experienced before. Let's make this our prayer. I yearn for you. So I yearn for you. Long to see you move. To see Lord, I lift my hands before my King. I lift my hands before So I yearn for you. So I Long to see you move. Lord, I lift my hands. Holy Spirit, as we close today, if there is a revival, an outpouring of your love and power and presence, please don't pass by our community. Father, we repent for walking in contrary ways to Ephesians 5.18 being filled with so many other things rather than you. 
we pray, Holy Spirit, we give you permission to fill us in ways we've never been filled before. Break destructive habits in our lives. Habits that we can't break. Thoughts we can't break. Copings that we can't break. And release the evidence of your power and love so others can see the power of your gospel. Will you bow your heads for the benediction today? May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. All God's people pray. Amen. God bless you. Go in peace. We'll see you at Easter. Good afternoon, everybody. Uh, for those of you guys that don't know me, my name is Stu Still. I'm a member here at 180 Church. We are a community joining God to restore the beauty in all things. We're so happy to see all of you here for today's service. Thank you, Sarah. Um, before we get started today, we're going to have some uh, just quick community news for everybody. We're going to start off with tithes and offering. For all of our members here, we will just want to remind and encourage you to continue to keep God at the center of all things, including your finances. You can make your offering through any of the electronic means listed above. And if you're a visitor here, if you're a guest here, you are our guest. There is no financial obligation to pay to be here today. But if you do feel like God is leading you to make an offering, you're more than welcome to do so, again, through any of the electronic means above. Our next announcement is about how we can connect together. One of the ways that we can do that is through our Bible reading group, which you can find on Instagram at 180BRG. And here we, bo we post just a verse of the Bible every day so that we can get a little bit of God's word in our uh, lives, whether it's uh, starting our day, whether it's powering through at lunchtime, or whether it's uh, quieting ourselves before God at the end of the day with just this little bit of his uh, word. It's a great, uh, great way to reflect and keep God's word at the center of our lives. We also have a number of other ways that we can connect uh, online. We have our church Facebook page at 180 Church. Dr. Sammy has his Twitter page at Dr. Sammy Kim. We have our church YouTube uh, page at 180 Church NYC, where many people are joining us because we stream these services every week. So if you can't be here on a particular Sunday, you're more than welcome to join us through the live stream. And we have all of our church Instagram pages, one at 180 Church, one at 180 BRG. And we have our college fellowship, which you can follow along at 180 Fellowship. Next, we have all the ways that we connect to each other during the week, and we do that through small groups. Small groups are a great way to come together in the middle of the week to really go deeper into God's Word, to see where He is teaching us and leading us through the Sunday sermon, and where we can just come together with a smaller pocket of community to really do life together, to get through those difficult times through life so that we're not doing faith alone, but we're doing it with community. Small groups meet throughout the week, some of them meeting in person, some of them are still meeting online. If you're interested in joining one, no matter what stage of life you're in, no matter where you are in the city, we have a small group that would be great for you. So just speak to me or any of the 180 greeters that you can find them in the sweatshirts and we'll get you plugged in. Next, we have a number of different resources available. Uh, we have a number of different uh, devotionals, which we've been going through over the year. And a devotional is a great way. It's a just a one-page, two-page thing where every day you read just a little bit of it. You get a little bit of clarity of who God is, where God is speaking to you in your life. And we have a number of them available at the 180 Cafe. And we also have Dr. Sammy's book, A Holy Haunting, available at the cafe. And that's going to be releasing soon, but you can pick one up today right here. And all of these books are available, and it's through the honor system. So you can pick it up today, and then later on you can Venmo or Chase QuickPay um, for it. And uh, you can start reading it right away. Also at the 180 Cafe, we have a number of different things from 180 Merch. We have hoodies and sweaters. We have long sleeve shirts. We have t-shirts and hats. All these different ways where you can show you know, your love for 180 and just rock it out uh, as you're going about your day. Again, they're purchasable at the cafe, and they're all on the honor system. So you can pick one up today, wear it out today, and you can pay at your leisure. And next we have our uh, prayer text hotline at uh, prayer at 180church.tv. And this is a great resource for when we're going through those difficult times in our lives or when we have friends that we want to pray for so that we're not praying for these things on our own, but we're praying in community. We're praying with others. We have the prayer team that keeps an eye on this line, and they always keep everything in confidence, but they pray with you for the things that are on your heart so that, again, we're not doing community alone. We're not doing faith alone, but we're doing it in community with our brothers and sisters. Again, it's at prayer at 180church.tv. 
And we also have our house of prayer, which meets here at about 1140 right here in the theater, where we can come and we can quiet ourselves before God, just let every bit of the shenanigans of the week, just kind of just let it out, let it go, and just prepare ourselves to hear God's word so that we can really receive what he's saying to us during Sunday service. And again, we meet here right at the theater at 1140. Our next announcement is about Pastor Lydia's uh, album, A Glimpse, which you can find on iTunes, Spotify, and on YouTube uh, through 180 Church Studios. And this is a great instrumental album that Pastor Lydia put together. I've been listening to it as I've been doing some of my journaling, as I've been doing, you know, Lent. And it's a really calm and relaxing album. I really encourage you guys to check it out. Again, as we're going through Lent, as we're finishing up Lent, it's a great way to reflect and uh, to just have some really good background music as we're listening to God's voice as we're going through Lent. And speaking of Lent, uh, Lent has begun, and in fact, Lent is almost over. Today is Palm Sunday. It is the last Sunday before Easter Sunday. So we uh, just want to hope, I hope you guys have been kind of enjoying or at least progressing through your fasts and your feasts, the ways that we've been fasting the defaults of the world and we've been feasting on God's presence. We have one more week to go through it and we have a number of different services that are coming up this week. On Friday, we're gonna have our Good Friday service. That's gonna be April 7th and it's gonna be down at NYU in the Kimmel Building, room 905 at 7 p.m. And then we're going to have our Easter Sunday service, April 9th, uh, this coming Sunday at noon in Battery Park City. Keep an eye on your emails for all of the details about where we can meet up. And just think of the people that you can invite to both Good Friday and to Easter Sunday service. These are always great outdoor services that we can invite people to come and share the gospel and just in a really nice open environment to really see who God is. So again, Good Friday service, April 7th at NYU, and then Easter Sunday, April 9th in Battery Park City. And our last announcement is about all the different ways that we're looking for people to come and help us out with the day-to-day -day operations of the church. We have a uh, need for people at the 180 Cafe to help wake us up with a nice cup of coffee or a nice cup of tea. We're always looking for volunteers to help out with the children's ministry because there are more and more and more kids always coming. It seems like every, every week there's a new one coming in. Uh, and we need some people whose heart is really to help start them on their journey with Christ. Uh, we are looking for techies to help out with the um, with our online presence. So if you have a little bit of technical knowledge for the web, we're more than uh, welcome to help us out with some uh, online uh, opportunities. And last but not least, we're always looking for greeters, people who are that friendly face. The first person that someone sees when they come in the door and that says, welcome to 180 Church, we're so glad to see you today. And I always say it, so many people are here because some greeter went up to them, made them feel welcome, made them feel like they belong here, that they're welcome here. So we're always looking for greeters to help pass that along to the next generation of believers here. So if you're interested in serving, you can speak to me or any of the uh, greeters in the 180 t-shirts.